What are cryptocurrencies? Hey, hey, hey. What are NFTs? A non-fungible token. Time to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin just seems like a scam. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, Bitcoin? Hello everyone, welcome back to On The Ledger. This is your host, Mul Saeed, and I'm back once again on your weekly rendezvous from Paris. 2022 was a big moment for Ethereum. The long-awaited merge event ended up finally taking place on September 15th, shifting Ethereum from proof-of-work to proof-of-stake consensus and significantly reducing its energy consumption along the way. A massive step forward towards Ethereum 2.0. But there is still somewhat of a long road ahead of, you know, Ethereum updates and implementations, including the surge, the verge, the purge, and the splurge. Sounds like a 90s rap song, but it isn't. Uh, This is what it's going to take for Ethereum to scale and be ready for mass adoption. Starting with the imminent Shanghai fork, uh, the protocol's first major update since the merge, which will enable validators to withdraw e-staked as far back as uh, December 2020, when the beacon chain was first launched and um, obviously lower gas costs for Ethereum developers as well. Um, But the question we want to be asking ourselves is, what is it going to actually change What are the challenges that lie ahead and will Ethereum be finally able to preserve its blockchain trilemma and scale? That's what we're going to be exploring today with our guests. Today we have Charles Guimet, Ledger CDO, back on the show, and we're pleased to be joined by Mark Zeller, founder of Avechan Initiative. Gentlemen, glad to have you on the show. How are you feeling today? Pretty good. And thank you for, for inviting me today. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good also. Uh, plenty of exciting news these days. Like part of the team is at East Denver and the mood is good. Uh, like these days, like people are focused on building. So this is, uh, this is great. And very happy to do the podcast with Mark. It's always a pleasure to uh, debate these things with him. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited as well. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show and kind of deep dive into technical topics. So... You know, let's start with Ethereum 2.0. I know that the concept is, uh, has been evolving a lot in, in the past few years um, and has been also covered extensively, but I'd love us to set the table for those uninitiated. Could you give us a quick rundown of what those Ethereum upgrades are all about and what they aim to accomplish? Mark, maybe you can start. Sure. Uh, so... Uh, you want the short version or the real version? <laughs> <laughs> I want I want the version that you want to give. Um. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Ethereum 2.0 or uh, the transition to from Ethereum proof of work to Ethereum proof of stake was definitely a shit show in the Ethereum history. Uh, it was supposed to happen in the next two months for the past seven years. Uh, I my first Ethereum conference, my first DevCon was Def, uh, DevCon Shanghai in 2006. So DevCon 2, and it was like for sure uh, about to be released in 2017. Uh, So as we can, as a few years down the line, uh, we can uh, realize that that was a bit far from the truth. And basically, everything changed uh, since uh, the early days of 2015-16 because uh, basically Ethereum. has been more ambitious uh, is their way to uh, to organize uh, proof of stake. Uh, the vision about proof of stake is completely different now. Uh, the uh, technicalities of the implementation has been completely changed. And 
basically what we can say is that uh, since the launch of the Beacon chain in December 2020, Ethereum is a proof-of-chain blockchain. But uh, it was not uh, the the consensus layer. Uh, the 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 consensus was still on proof of work until the merge that happened, as you said, in October uh, two thousand twenty two. Yes, uh, October two thousand twenty two, and uh, and. In, it is expected that in April 2023, uh, let's say, well, let's see what happened because you know with Ethereum uh, deadlines are uh, a bit fuzzy. Uh, you uh, will have the activation of the Shanghai fork uh, and uh, the ability to deposit, uh, stake, and unstake on uh, Ethereum, uh, and that will be basically uh, the the minimum valuable Ethereum 2.0 uh, finish, like phase one finish. But there's still a lot of other things uh, on the roadmap for Ethereum, and I think we're going to discuss that. No, what I was going to say, Charles, is maybe you can even take a couple of steps back and talk why, about why this whole Ethereum 2.0 project came to life in the first place and what that transition from proof of work to proof of stake, along with the variety of different upgrades that are being implemented, aim to achieve um, in the long term. Yeah, I, I think we 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 were talking about um, upgrading the chain for a long time, like uh, at the beginning of uh, Ethereum, that was already the plan. But I think the term of to, uh, Ethereum two was uh, more used in uh, in twenty eighteen, and at this time, uh, Ethereum had huge uh, scalability issues, like transaction transaction cost was very, very high. Like if you wanted to do anything simple, it cost 50, 50 bucks. So it, it was it was not usable anymore. And thus that was important for um, the Ethereum community to design a plan. And uh, if I remember correctly, there was a couple of different ideas on the roadmap at this time. Uh, I remember the first one was uh, uh, to move signatures to uh, BLS uh, from SecP uh, 256K1 to BLS. This one has been a little bit abandoned, I think. Uh, it's uh, it's a shame because BLS is far better than uh, SecP. We are going to use BLS for uh, the validator, uh, but for uh, the consensus uh, and the signatures uh, of transaction, uh, probably it at, it's at least delayed. So that was the first thing. The second one was uh, changing the EVM language to EWASM. I think this one has been abandoned as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was a shit show as well. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and the last thing was really about uh, scalability. And at this time, there there were two main options uh, for uh, solving the scalability challenge. Uh, the first one was uh, sharding uh, and it was also one of the big motivation to move to proof of stake uh, because uh, uh, if you do sharding, uh, staying in proof of work is not is not really possible. At least uh, we don't know any solution to that right now. And the second the second option was uh, layer two. And there's two options have been worked in parallel since uh, 2018. And uh, the what the time told us is that uh, the the L2 option is probably a better option. And, and sharding has not been completely abandoned yet, but I think that that will be the case. Yeah, I think I think that's very interesting Like to see all of like these different um, implementations to try and solve scalability. But scalability isn't, I would say, the, the whole objective here. Like if you think about like the blockchain trilemma, and I assume 
a lot of our listeners probably heard that term before, but uh, it might be useful for us to to kind of explain what that trilemma is all about. And that I would say tension and relationships be- between scalability, security, and decentralization. Uh, because you know, in my opinion, that's really where most blockchain projects are, are are trying to you know put the maximum amount of resources in order to solve that that, that perfect equation. Yes, definitely. When when you, we use a blockchain, we want uh, permissionless consensus. That means you, uh, what happens on chain must be censorship resistant. You don't have to ask the permission to anyone uh, to uh, to do your transaction. And the best way to maintain this uh, censorship resistance and this permissionless uh, property is decentralization. So decentralization is really really important. If you give away decentralization, uh, it's I, I I think this ecosystem has no uh, no purpose anymore. The second one is uh, is to be secure. Of course, if you can't trust the system, uh, again, there, there is no point. And finally, there is the scalability aspect, uh, at least in terms of bandwidth, number, number of transactions. And I think the, the, right now, scalability is the adjustment variable. Uh, I, I mean, we don't want to, um, to compromise on security, of course. And also, we don't really want to uh, compromise on uh, decentralization. Otherwise, otherwise, there was uh, there was no point of, of of doing this. So, we are in a point where we have blockchain who are quite good in terms of security, quite good in terms of decentralization. And again, it depends on which blockchain. And now we want to uh, uh, increase uh, the scalability for uh, blockchain without compromising too much the the two first property. This is a this is a difficult tension because it's difficult to have the three properties uh, completely fulfilled. So it's always a matter of trade-off, uh, and and f- I think the big challenge to solve is to increase scalability while not compromising too much on decentralization and and the same on security. And I'd say that 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 probably is the source of the whole project, right? Like trying to find a better solution to to that uh, blockchain trilemma. And, Mark, you know, the merge was one of the most anticipated Ethereum events of the past few years, uh, to be fair. Um, and everyone was like waiting for, for that event in, in September of last year, you know, the, the transition to proof of stake and um, obviously being able to stake your ETH and, and, and gain rewards. Um, do you think that actually changed uh, much since that implementation? Like, did, did it actually change much for the Ethereum ecosystem since um, the, the, you know, the merge in, uh, of last year or... Or do you think the biggest changes are yet to come? Uh, I think the, the, it is definitely like a paradigm shift. Uh, alongside, I will link that upgrade uh, with EIP-1559, uh, which introduced a burning mechanism. Uh, and it's quite important as well for the tokenomics or the economics of Ethereum as a whole. Uh, because when you associate um, the... Uh, basically, what happened in the merge is that proof of work was dropped uh, completely uh, uh, on the Ethereum blockchain and completely replaced by what was the Bitcoin chain. So it's not a new chain. It's not something new that happened in the merge. It's just that proof of work was deprecated and the Bitcoin chain that was already there since December 2020 uh, became the the new canon way to uh, finalize block. Uh, so it's very important to understand because there there were like quite uh, quite a few misunderstandings at the time. It was not changing the engine of the plane uh, while you are in mid air, uh, as uh, we could read, uh, as we we saw in social media. It's that it was uh, the the plane already have 
two engines working perfectly for the past two, uh, two years for one engine, the new one, and seven years for the uh, the other ones. And we just uh, cut one and uh, just uh, focus on the uh, on the new one. So that's basically what happened. And in terms of impact uh, for the tokenomics, we don't have uh, the block rewards uh, anymore on uh, on. Uh, uh, in the sense of proof of work, we only have the uh, the activity uh, uh, rewards and uh, the, the 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 block proposition rewards uh, for proof of stake, and uh, and the burn has been constantly uh, on average higher than uh, the, the the emission on Ethereum. So you now have an asset that pays for its own security through actual economic activity, transaction fee, and is uh, deflationary in terms of supply. And that's mm -hmm. brand new. In, uh, it, it's the first crypto assets, like the first blockchain, that is economically sustainable, that doesn't rely on any kind of subsidy. Because I want to remind everybody that Bitcoin is the uh, most secure blockchain in the world, but Bitcoin relies on subsidy. Uh, because the transaction fee, the actual economic activity is not enough at this point uh, to uh, sustain the, uh, the, the Bitcoin ecosystem, or at least the current hash rate. Yeah, maybe in terms of impact, so it's, it's an interesting one. Um, there, was a, there was a side impact which, which is quite interesting, like the GPU market has been impacted by this, uh, because like a, a big part of the GPU market was for uh, miners on Ethereum, and miners on Ethereum are, are were using uh, GPU for that. And uh, and when you stop proof of work on uh, on, on on Ethereum, that means that there's there's a GPU has not uh, are not bought, uh, bought for this purpose anymore. So this is uh, less tension on, on this market. This, this one is, is quite is quite uh, interesting. Now the gamers and, are happy. <laughs> yeah, and gamers uh, gamers should be happy definitely. Uh, and uh, if you go back to the blockchain trilemma. Uh, in terms of security, I would argue that we lost a little bit of security if you compare to uh, proof of work and especially to Bitcoin. But this is this is to be debated uh, at the end, and at the end it's difficult to know, and only time will tell if it's uh, secure secure enough at, at, at the least. In terms of scalability, it didn't really change anything for now uh, because this this was not the, the point. This is a prerequisite to implement uh, more scalability solution after, but for now there was no uh, no real change in this in this area. Uh, but in terms of decentralization, I think we lost a little bit, uh, and probably more than a little bit, but. I do not I, agree not sure. with that. But <laughs> let's discuss. Okay, let's discuss. Let's discuss. <laughs> Love it. Go ahead. Uh, I, I'm not sure it's because of the proof of stake um, uh, mechanism, but more the, the how it's implemented on Ethereum. It's not about proof of work versus proof of stake, but more the Ethereum proof of stake mechanism. Like at least during this period, uh, like it, it incentivizes more centralization because like you have uh, three different properties. The first one, if you want to stake, you, you need to stake at least uh, 32 Ethereum. So it's a little bit more difficult for uh, most of users. Also, uh, since the since the merge, uh, it's non-liquid. That means when you stake, you can't withdraw. So it does not really incentivize uh, uh, staking for, uh, for 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 individuals. It's quite difficult to run a node, and like there's three uh, issues. 
uh, it created some uh, centralization to a few actors, such as Lido uh, and some exchanges. If you have a look to the different validator, most of them are uh, run by Lido or exchanges, and it's mostly because of these uh, these different uh, challenges that will be solved with Shanghai. Uh, but for now, if you have a look to uh, the the different uh, validator, uh, I think like three actors. Are validating are representing like uh, 65% of uh, uh, of the funds at, at stake. And by the way, we are starting to see like OFAC compliant blocks, which is which is quite quite high. So in terms of decentralization, I'm a, I'm a little bit uh, at least disappointed. Such a point, Mark. <laughs> so now we fight. Every good uh, yeah. podcast is uh, has a little bit of debate. Uh, otherwise, it's not fun. Uh, there, there's a few very good points uh, provided by Chart that are completely true and that are uh, stone cold fight. Uh, the fact that uh, for now, uh, when you stake, it's a one way street. So uh, you don't know when you can unstake. Uh, some people will say, "Well, it's almost over because there's a very high probability it will happen." Uh, in April, uh, the the staking withdrawal activation, so Shanghai upgrade, has been activated on uh, on the dev of multiple devnet at this point. Have been activated since three days on Sepolia, which is the second largest testnet on Ethereum, and it expected uh, during this month to be activated on Girly, which is the the main uh, testnet of Ethereum. And so far, so good. And there's good consensus within the community to think uh, during the month of April, uh, the test, uh, the withdrawal and Shanghai will be activated on Ethereum mainnet. Uh, we never know uh, because there's an history of not respecting the deadline on the Ethereum Foundation side of things. But uh, uh, it's true, completely true. It's not liquid now, but uh, we are getting closer and closer uh, to that date. Uh, I think it will help decentralization because it was also a, a true fact that centralized, well, not centralized, but uh, that uh, entities are representing more than half of a staking on Ethereum right now. So solo staker represents uh, around 30 to 35% of uh, validator on uh, on Ethereum at this point. Uh, the rest is Coinbase, Kraken, uh, Binance, uh, Lido. And uh, and uh, Rocket Pool and other... Yeah, small others, yeah. Uh, and small others. Uh, what I can say about that is the first thing, uh, I think the SEC is helping <laughs> on, the, on this side of things because I think centralized exchange uh, staking is maybe uh, on the way out, uh, given what happened with BUSD and Paxos uh, recently, and many people are talking about CBIT. I don't know about that, uh, to be honest. I don't think uh, the, the SEC will go uh, to Coinbase for this kind of things, but uh, there's one thing about that. But also, I want to remind everybody that Lido is more a technical standard than a centralized entity. So. Lido is actually representing more than 30 uh, different entities. So you can have Stakefish, you, you have uh, actually Coinbase uh, as a Lido uh, validators. And all this data is public, uh, so it can be monitored. And that's the point of decentralized blockchain is that the public registry is uh, distributed, so anybody can, uh, can check uh, that data. 
And the market share of Lido is actually going down uh, because there's more alternatives that are even more decentralized. Uh, for example, RocketPool uh, that allows, and that's another point, uh, 32 ETH is a lot of money. It's around $50,000 when we register this podcast. Uh, $50,000 is a lot of money for a lot of people. And uh, it's not accessible uh, for, for many people. And RocketPool allows a mini pool of 16 ETH. So you can share your mini pool and uh, and create a node with 16 ETH. That's still $25,000. And they're going to release uh, a new upgrade with 8 ETH uh, this year. Uh, so it will make things more accessible. But in terms of security, uh, of security, you are securing the Ethereum blockchain. So you need to have something at stake. And it's a very well-known uh, vector of attack with proof-of-stake network, uh, the nothing-at-stake attack. If you uh, don't have something stake, well, uh, what is your incentive to be honest? So it's never going to be zero. It's always going to be too much uh, for some people, but uh, there's a true. Uh, what, what do you think? Yeah. What do you think of like uh, proof of stake mechanism and consensus of Ethereum compared to like the DPoS that you have on uh, Cosmos, for instance? I, I think it's more decentralized uh, the Ethereum version of thing, even if it's not perfect. And that was my last point: is that for the first time on Ethereum, you actually have an incentive now to uh, run your own node. Because if you, I, I, I don't have own share of that company, but if you buy a DAP node device, uh, you buy that, you plug that, and if you have enough it to run at least a mini pool, uh, it will pay for itself in a few months uh, through the staking revenue. So for the first time in blockchain history, uh, usually when you have a Bitcoin node, and it's still the, the, the case uh, today, it's because you love the uh, the ethos, you you love decentralization, and you want to support the network. And except some Bitcoiner in Meetup that say, thank you for your service, there's not really a reward for that. For the first time, Ethereum is the first blockchain that actually pays you to run your own node. As a, as, a, as a staker and compared to what we call uh, dedicated proof-of-stake blockchain that are usually uh, focused on performance, uh, the device, uh, especially with, uh, I talked about Dapnode, which will cost you around 2,000 bucks, which is a lot of money, but it's a high-performance device and a bit uh, future-proof. Uh, you have also Ethereum on ARM that uh, will cost you 300 to $500. So it's always... It will always be too much for some people, but it's becoming more and more accessible and you can have uh, a full uh, staking node on that. So I think he, it's still early. Uh, staking on Ethereum is a few years old, December 2020 and a few months old in production, and, uh, if I can call it, call it that way. But I think with time, decentralization will only increase in Ethereum. I think it's going to be interesting also to see when that amount of ETH is unlocked, how people will start behaving. Um, and, you know, definitely looking forward to that. Um, we've spoken a lot about decentralization, but maybe let's let's move uh, the conversation to uh, scalability. Um, and, you know, give us a little bit of a background on, on how different blockchains started, you know, experimenting with scalability solutions. So, um, you know, when it comes to, to scalability, multiple solutions were implemented by different blockchains in the past from, you know, increasing block sizes with BCH to creating side chains, layer twos, but, but, but none were completely able to solve the problem. Um, why is that? Mostly because this is a difficult problem. Like there was no, there, there was no easy solution to that. 
we want scalability, decentralization, and security at the same time. That means the participants of the consensus need to verify the legitimacy of transaction for security. They need to process a lot of transaction per second that potentially requires a lot of power. And uh, they need to synchronize the consensus to maintain the overall consistency of the state. It's difficult to do that. Like, uh, if, if the work to be performed by valid validators is, uh, is big, uh, it becomes very difficult and expensive to run a validator or a miner, uh, if you think about uh, proof of work. So it will favor uh, centralization. Uh, the network might be unstable. And I have like a Solana example in mind. Running a Solana node is very costly. Uh, thus, there are very few uh, nodes, uh, and maintaining the consensus is quite unstable. And because, like, as we can see, like the, the network is uh, regularly down. So Solana was completely focusing everything on, on performance and scalability, but the trade-off was uh, no decentralization at all, and even more than that, like the the. The network is very unstable. Increasing block size is, is a similar issue. Uh, at the end, you will need to process more transactions per second, so it, it will be more difficult uh, for a validator to uh, validate the, the, the chain. Um, if you if you take Bitcoin trade-off, it really favors uh, decentralization. It's it's possible to run a node on a Raspberry Pi, and and today we have like uh, fifteen thousand uh, nodes uh, up and running. So this is the Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin situation, but it has a very, very low throughput, like it's um, seven transactions uh, per, per second. Um, so there was also the, the possibility of creating like side chains. Uh, and I think it's quite a good option, actually. Like uh, if, you, if, you have a look the, uh, to, if you have a look at Cosmos ecosystem with the native IBC, so that means you have a na native way to uh, create communication between different chains and this is this is often a challenge uh, we are that's why we are trying to build uh, blockchain bridges and it's uh, it's often um, a fail unfortunately but if you have <laughs> uh, when they say fail that means like uh, they are often hacked and uh, people are losing a lot of money um, but if you have like at the blockchain level a way to uh, implement cross-chain communication, it's very valuable. So this is something you have uh, in the Cosmos ecosystem with the different uh, uh, sidechain and IBC. I also think DPoS uh, is a quite interesting idea. Uh, again, this is a different trade-off uh, if you consider this against uh, the, the Ethereum one. Um, also, the IBC might become a, a SPOF, a single point of failure. So again, a different trade-off. Uh, but I think it remains it remains a, a, a good idea, and for me, I think a good trade-off will be the following: like having a strong L1, which is really focused on like security and decentralization, and not that much on uh, scalability, and which is only focused on settlement. Like transaction will be uh, expensive, but this is not a big deal because. We will factor this price on L2. I think this is, uh, as of today, I think this is the most promising idea, and this is where the industry is going, by the way. Mm -hmm. I and completely agree with that. Is the Bitcoin vision, by the way, 
So uh, the idea of having a settlement layer uh, with high value uh, and high, high added value transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain and then uh, layer two uh, with Lightning Network uh, in the, the case of Bitcoin. And Ethereum took, took that last as well uh, with many different implementation of layer two. So you have like uh, optimistic rollups, ZK rollups, ZK AVMs and, and, so, uh, and so on and so on. And... I think it's the right approach, but you know, uh, you, there, there's always going to be uh, experimentation on layer ones because when you experiment on your own layer one, you can raise money and do ICOs and launch uh, your stuff. And it's the same story since uh, Litecoin in 2011. Litecoin was exactly the same code than Bitcoin, but uh, instead of 10 minute block time, it was 2.5 minute block time and oh, faster and cheaper. Uh, and uh, we have the same story for the past almost... Uh, uh, almost 10 years uh, at the end Bitcoin was right <laughs> like <laughs> a late settlement layer scalability layers and Bitcoin and Ethereum took that path and so far so good I mean you used a lot of different terms there that uh, I'd love us to unpack together um, so you know that solution that uh, or the solutions that Ethereum is aiming for is mainly uh, rollups there are a variety of different kinds of rollups and also sharding that, that we've mentioned at the beginning of the episode um, so how is that any different from a layer two um, in terms of like uh, thinking about like Arbitrum or, or, or Polygon? Um, and what are the advantages and challenges of um, each of them? Maybe we can start with um, sharding and then we might move to, to rollups right after. Charles, you want to you wanna take sharding? Yeah, definitely. So the idea of sharding is to uh, take your blockchain and split it into uh, several uh, smaller chains and to implement a local consensus. Like this is a basic uh, divide and conquer strategy. When you, when you do computer science, this is, a, this is a very well known strategy. And then the big question is, how do you secure like this local consensus? So it's, it's, it's not a trivial one. And for instance, you, can, you can't really use a proof of work to do that. Because if you do that, that means like, let's say you cut your blockchain into 1000 uh, smaller blockchain and you continue with uh, with uh, proof of work, that means that you will divide your uh, your proof of work power in, uh, into one thousand. That means the fifty one percent problem uh, is not a fifty one percent problem. It's it's, uh, it's uh, zero point five percent. If you have zero point five percent of um, the overall uh, uh, power, you can take over uh, one uh, one uh, shot. So this is something that doesn't work. That was. That, that's why it's important to move to proof of stake in this in this kind of uh, situation. And then, so let's say you have these different um, shards that run autonomously with different uh, consensus. At some point, you will need to have some uh, cross-shard communication uh, because uh, otherwise you don't have one blockchain, but you have a separate blockchain that can communicate. So this is not what, what we want. So we want to be able to maintain an overall um, uh, state for the different shards. And you, you, you come up with a, with a difficult, difficult question because how do you uh, manage this communication? It's not trivial at all. If, and, and by the way, if all the shards need to communicate with each other all the time, you end up with a slower consensus than the whole blockchain. So uh, this, is, this is something uh, quite, quite difficult. Uh, it's difficult already if you only consider like a simple native transaction, but if you start to consider like um, uh, uh, dApps, 
Like, uh, you start to consider the swap dap running on one shard. How does it communicate with another liquidity pool on another shard? Frankly, this is, this is a, a completely, uh, a very, very difficult problem. And I think that's why we, uh, we completely, we, we started to remove this, this idea from the Ethereum roadmap. And, and you're completely right. Is... I think DeFi killed uh, sharding on Ethereum yeah. because uh, you cannot have Aave on one shard and Uniswap on the other shard. So you end up with the DeFi shard, which is the main shard that everybody wants to be there. And so you have one shard with everything and all the other shard with nothing. So what's the point of sharding? So we basically, uh, with DeFi, killed uh, the, the sharding uh, roadmap of Ethereum, I think. And the <laughs> remaining part of uh, sharding is... Uh, in Ethereum, the, the idea, like today, if you want to store data on Ethereum, you will store it uh, at the same uh, space where you uh, where you store smart contract and, and execution. So, and it's quite costly. So, the idea is to separate data uh, from um, from program, let's say, and uh, create another chain which is only to uh, store data. And the only sharding uh, idea that, that is remaining is dunk sharding. The idea is to have this layer of data and shard, uh, shard this data. And if the data is immutable and, uh, and you don't have to, uh, to have a cross shard communication, it's read-only, it's very simple and in this, uh, in this uh, context that could be implemented. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not even sure it will happen, but uh, this idea could remain uh, in uh, Ethereum roadmap. So sharding is mainly about like dividing the blockchain into different subsets and then making sure that they talk to one another and that the security of the of the main chain is actually the one doing the consensus if I if I understand this correctly. You explain always so better than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so efficient. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh Mark, what about rollups? How is that any different from sharding? Uh I think chart will be better for the, all the technicalities, but uh, mm -hmm. let, let's uh, cut to, uh, to 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 the point. Rollups are basically uncoring, so you have your own layer, and uh, you take a batch of uh, of a bunch of transactions. You have a sequencer actor. Uh, right now, it's like uh, it's actually a problem by, uh, in my eyes in, in the Ethereum ecosystem because all the sequencers are completely centralized uh, at this point on across Optimism, Arbitrum, Starknet. It's all, all the same shit at, at this point. And uh, that's uh, one of the big uh, topic of 2023 and 2024 is that all oh, you decentralize this process because this sequencer takes a bag uh, a batch of transaction uh, in that rollups and encore that in one big transaction on the uh, on the L1 mm -hmm. and basically uh, you have economies of scales when you do that and uh, mm -hmm. especially with proto dark shunting, uh that is expected for the Paris update uh, after the Shanghai upgrade, uh, the Cancun upgrade. Sorry, uh, after the the Shanghai upgrade, uh, we expect uh, to have like a uh, times 100 reduction of the the cost of using a rollup uh, in the future. So so interesting. That's you know about um, combining different transactions together, waiting till they're combined and then pushing them on the chain at once, so that you don't have to be doing it like uh, all the time, which gives you like scalability in terms of like fees and and also um, ability to uh, put like different um, uh, transactions together at once. So. There are the variety of different ways actually to do these rollups. You have optimistic rollups, zk rollups. I'm, I'm sure there are like five or, or six other rollups the, out there. The, the, um, 
Well, we can talk about the technicalities for hours, and if Charles wants to do it, uh, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it all boils down to how do you reach finality with L1? How do you mm-hmm. uh, anchor and notarize uh, the information from the L2 to the L1? So, and do you reach finality after a week and hope everything will be all right? optimistic roll-up? Do you uh, generate uh, zero-knowledge proof uh, to anchor uh, whatever happened on your layer two? Uh, And all these flavors are very interesting, but also very complex. And I I have to say, uh, uh, I need painkillers if I I dive too much into it (laughs) for the ADEC. Charles, give us the painkiller. Or I will give the pain. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I think the the most interesting ones are really validity roll-ups. They are little less advanced than optimistic rollups uh, for now, but they are really interesting. Um, so the idea is to is to say, okay, we will create another uh, blockchain, let's say, uh, that uh, that runs in somewhat decentralized way, uh, but w- which is really faster. And we will create a world uh, where we create uh, plenty of transaction, plenty of complex operation, and we would like to ensure the state of this uh, blockchain on the L1, on, on Ethereum blockchain. And we would like that the L1, uh, Ethereum, would be like uh, an arbiter, would be, okay, I agree, like this state is correct. Like all the transactions that has been um, uh, done, executed, are completely legitimate. There is no, there is no one trying to spend money that he, he, he hasn't, like this kind of thing. And the idea to do that is to use a zero knowledge proof. Zero knowledge proof is um, a cryptographic uh, uh, field that that allows to do uh, different things. At, at the beginning, the idea of zero knowledge proof is to uh, prove like uh, properties without giving any information about this property. But in this context, it's not really used uh, this way, not for this property. In this context, it's used because of the asymmetry of creating a proof and verifying a proof. Creating a proof of validity is something quite complex and that uh, requires a lot of power, while verifying that a proof is valid is very simple. So the idea is the following. We are creating a world, uh, L2, where there are simple transaction rules and we have um, a sequencer or a prover that verified the new state of uh, the, the blockchain is correct, complies with these rules, and it will simply issue a proof of this, a zero-knowledge proof of this, mm-hmm. and send it to a smart contract which runs on Ethereum blockchain. And the smart contract is only in charge of verifying the validity of the proof. And as this verification is quite cheap in in terms of power, it's also cheap in in terms of uh, gas uh, for Ethereum. And that means that we can factor all the transaction complexity into simply verifying the validity of the proof. So this is this is quite uh, amazing when you when you think about that. And the Ethereum blockchain has simply no idea on what's going on on the L2. It it simply knows that this proof is valid and the new state of like the L2 is 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 correct and uh, is uh, there was no no one trying to uh, to 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 spend uh, money that he he hasn't. So Mm -hmm. this is the idea. And then with this comes like new problem, like for, for instance, the data availability problem is quite interesting. You are um, an observer and you, you, you can be sure simply watching the 
the chain that the state of the L2 is correct, but you have no idea uh, what is this state. So th this is a, a little bit like we are playing chess. I play, you play, and like we are committing proof that our moves are correct, legitimate. The Ethereum blockchain verifies that uh, uh, that our proof are correct. So the Ethereum blockchain knows how many uh, moves we played. It can know that our moves are completely legitimate, but it has no idea what's the position of the board. So this is a little bit uh, scary. So we would like to uh, have a way to build, to rebuild uh, this state for anyone uh, observing the situation. And that, that's where we will use like protodunk sharding and this layer of data, which is on Ethereum chain, in order to be able to reconstruct this, uh, this state. So it, mm -hmm. It was a little bit... Um, no, no, it's very long, interesting. but I, I try to explain everything. No, very, very interesting. Like um, the variety of different um, solutions that are currently being implemented in order to solve like scalability. And then when you deep dive into rollups and, and you kind of understand that there are a variety of different pieces to it, it, it becomes, it starts making sense because every single one of the pieces is trying to solve something that the other one isn't solving. So the, the question is that, you know, at, at the end of the day, there is no one size fits all solution. It feels like all of these things need to come together in some way or another in order for this to work. So how do you see these innovations coming together um, in order to solve scalability in the future? Talking about, you know, layer twos, sharding, rollups. We have a variety of different projects out there that are currently, you know, making waves, you know, uh, namely Starknet, for instance. So how do you see that evolving and um, where do you think is the unlock? I think it, one thing that is extremely important in the Ethereum ecosystem, and I will say Ethereum culture, or EVM culture, Ethereum virtual machines, so the Ethereum technology, even if it's not the Ethereum network directly or layer 2 directly on Ethereum, is that we are not a cult uh, compared to, to other ecosystem and communities. So anybody can try stuff and it's pretty open. Uh, use the technology, uh, use the code, uh, write your stuff. Uh, there's really a culture of less move fast and break things on the Ethereum ecosystem for the better and the worst. Uh, if you go to rect.news, uh, you will see the worst, but uh, there's also a good innovation. Uh, and what I'm sure is that we're going to try everything. A lot of things will fail, but because we're going to try everything, we're going to find pretty good things. And uh, that's, that's the difference. Like on Bitcoin, you have Lightning Network, you have one solution and very few other uh, solutions, even even if uh, there's uh, a bit of change on that side of things. And uh, that's uh, a pretty good news in my eyes. Uh, but on Ethereum, you have Optimism, which is trying their own stuff. You have Coinbase Logic Based, which is trying their own version of Optimism. You have Arbitrum, you have Scroll, you have ZK Sync, you have ZK EVM, you have Startnet and so on, Metis and so on and mm -hmm. so on. And everybody will try their own flavor. Most of them will fail, that's for sure. But I think in two years, it will be much better than now. Just like two years ago was much worse than today. Totally agree with um, with uh, what Mark said. Uh, I think it is going to be very very interesting, uh, and we are going to like uh, having a strong layer one and trying to implement uh, some some interesting stuff on on layer two. Uh, there are plenty of uh, new ideas, plenty of uh, uh, builders, and we are in the building time, so it's really really exciting. Um, difficult to know which one will uh, will uh, will win at the end. Uh, 
Uh, and even even if the winners is already there, we, we don't know. I, I guess there will, there will be several winners. I guess also layer two will be able to uh, settle not only on one layer one, but maybe on several layer one. This is uh, another an interesting idea. And I think the one challenge uh, that will come with this layer two is also the, the challenge of uh, centralization and decentralization. Who is the prover? Is it is it censorship resistant and, and so on? Uh, we are coming with the same uh, problem that we have on, on layer one, on layer two. With with a, um, it's slightly less important because you if if you are unhappy with the censorship resistance of the layer two, you can go back to to the layer one with your uh, assets and that's it. Like that. And by the way, this is an important uh, thing. Like you you must have some native way to go from your layer one to uh, your layer two in, term, in terms of asset. Like, this is something important. Yeah, but I really want to emphasize that uh, to the people that listen to us or uh, watch us. Uh, act as of today, every single layer two solution on Ethereum is completely centralized. And everybody uh, telling you the opposite is not uh, telling you the truth. And that's a huge problem. That's not something that is acceptable. That is something that we are working with right now because the technology is immature. But uh, to be honest, I'm not comfortable. Like I love the Optimism uh, network. I do stuff there. Uh, I love Arbitrum. I love uh, the upcoming ZKVM of Polygon and so on and so forth. But right now they are all completely centralized and we need to fix that and uh, it will be an interesting development for the next uh, and challenge for the next two years yeah absolutely and i think you know looking at the future and and, and before we wrap up um you were talking earlier mark about P paris upgrade today we have shanghai um you know in your opinion um you know both of your opinions um, what are the Ethereum upgrades or implementations that you're most excited about in the future? And, and you know, maybe give a quick explanation of what they are. Uh, you want to splurge the virgin and so on. <laughs> uh, to be honest, uh, I, I'm maybe getting old, but uh, uh, in my point of view, once we have uh, 48, 44 and, uh, and Shanghai upgrades, we have almost everything we need. Like uh, the other stuff are bonus in my eyes. So uh, like, uh, for example, the Verge uh, implement the Verkulti, uh, which change uh, the way gas is calculated on Ethereum and will bring a fair amount of scalability and also uh, the ability to limit the blockchain size growth over time. And that's quite important for decentralization because we don't want uh, to, we want the the most amount of nodes so it's important to not have a blockchain that grow too fast in terms of size but all this stuff are bonus and uh, the, the result of uh, the continuous um, innovation of the ethereum ecosystem and the openness the open mindedness of the ethereum ecosystem to innovation uh, but i think I have the feeling maybe it's a, a boomer reaction, but uh, the, the most important stuff will happen this year and the rest is a bonus. Charles. When you say this year, you mean in 2023? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you take into account the delays? <laughs> well, on paper. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, no. I, I'm kidding. No, no. I, I, I totally agree. Uh, Shanghai is somewhat important because it's really, really awaited and it won't change everything, but... We, we need it and we, we, we need to have it. Um, 
And also it can be interesting what will happen on the market because it can create more liquidity. On the other side, some users who were reluctant to stake because uh, because of the lock and the, the uncertainty of the locking time, maybe they won't hesitate anymore. So it's it, it's quite interesting what will happen. Uh, I, I, it's a local thing, we, we'll see. And uh, as uh, Mark said, I think the, the important one is the protodon sharding uh, upgrade, uh, 1448. Um, and, and this one is for Paris update, you, you mentioned? Uh, so it's Cancun. So just to Cancun, just okay. to know, uh, the, the Ethereum Mark fork uh, adopted the, the naming system of the uh, DEFCON. So basically, uh, Shanghai was DEFCON 2, uh, as we said at the beginning of the podcast. DEFCON 3 is Cancun. Uh, DEFCON 4 is Prague. DEFCON 5 is Osaka. So now if you are listening to us, you know the name of the next uh, upgrade for 2024 and 2025, probably. Around the world with Ethereum. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, that was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, appreciate the conversation and looking forward to you know future Ethereum rabbit holes with you all. Cool, that was great. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. That was great. That's it. It's always immensely enriching to dive into uh, the development of a vibrant ecosystem such as Ethereum. One lesson that we can take away is that challenges always lead to innovation and that we're just getting started here. I hope that this leaves you with some brain material to digest. On the Ledger, we'll be back soon with some of your favorite content. In the meantime, stay safe, take care, au revoir. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment or tax advice. Do your own research. Any loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.